Are there any good-looking podcast listeners out there tonight? Soccer dude, rockin' America. He doesn't know soccer, but he's gonna talk about soccer dude, rockin' America. Tactical analysis. Transfer news. Unlikely. Hey, that's not what I wrote. I don't really care. We're going with it now. All right. Soccer new back in America. Soccer new back in America. Featuring person talking about soccer lots. Hello and welcome to episode 125 of Soccer Noob Rock in America, featuring Person Noob. But no hello from her this time around because she is tuckered out from school and the busy life of a 10-year-old. I envy my daughter and her youth. She put herself to bed early, even though we were planning to record tonight. So I'll be flying solo. Thankfully, we've still got her on some pre-recorded duties that she was kind enough to do for us. And I'll be helping her out with some of the segments that she was planning on doing and that she helped write. Now, the main crux of the show for anybody new listening, is that we are going to do 10 match mini previews from the biggest, most intriguing matches from around the world. And I promise you, in many ways, that is going to be much different than any other podcast you're going to define. You're going to find defines that, yes, we'll be getting some uh, big matches from a couple, three big leagues, particularly European ones. We'll cover some stuff right here akin to or in Major League Soccer. But we are also going to be looking at matches from every single other confederation in the world. We don't care if it's a big one or small one, confederation, country, if it's a top flight league, and there's a high stakes where it's being played, by gosh, it is on our radar. And you're going to learn a little bit about a lot of different clubs that we don't think that you would catch wind of much of anywhere else. So thank you for finding us and joining us. The matches we're going to cover this particular episode will cover from Friday the 3rd of March all the way through Thursday the 9th with no more gilding of the lily. What do you say? Let's jump right in with... March number one! We start our trek well across the pond in one of the best leagues in all of Europe. They're ranked number three in UEFA is Germany's Bundesliga. Right now... The second best team is Dortmund in the table, and they are going to be playing host to number four, Red Bull Leipzig. Let's take a quick look at the table. Uh, Bayern Munich and Dortmund are actually tied on 46 points. Bayern have a big lead on goal differential. Union Berlin are in third with 43. Red Bull, they're at 42. And Freiburg are looking back at 41. And remember, only four teams will get to go to next year's Champions League, so somebody's going to get left out in this game of musical chairs that they were playing in the league. The series between these two has been a little bit to Dortmund's advantage in re- the last couple, three seasons. They've accrued a 7-2-5 and five record. But when they played earlier this season, it was Leipzig defending their home turf 3-0. You can catch this one on ESPN Plus at 2.30 in the afternoon. As always, we will start with the home team first, Dortmund. That is the number eight size city in all of the country, about 600,000 people in the west central part. Historically, this is a big 
industrial area. Uh, in more recent uh, years, they have moved on to uh, biomedical and microtechnology, so a very modern city in those terms. This is, by the way, the number 19 ranked club in all of Europe. They have won the league title nine times, three times this century, the most recent one, just over a decade ago, 2011, 2012. It's been pretty much uh, all Bayern Munich since then. Uh, this is a team that won the Champions League back in 1996-97. Their best finish this century was as runners-up in 2012-2013. Currently, they're playing in the Champions League as well in the round of 16, and they are up 1-0 on Chelsea. Last year in league play, they finished in second place, right where they are now. They are a distant second best in terms of offense, scoring a little bit over two per match, and they have the second best defense to go with that. It's a fairly high-scoring league. They give up one and a quarter goals. Not that that's a ton, but that's a lot for a team that's you know in the top two or three of the table in that statistic. And they have a top three goal differential. This is a team that would be very surprising to see them dip down much, if at all, let alone out of the top four and getting a Champions League berth. Key players to look for on the scoring leaderboard with eight is team leader Julian Brandt, a homegrown attacking midfielder who spent six years with Bayern Leverkusen before coming here. He's also made almost 40 national team appearances. I'm a little embarrassed to say I wasn't too familiar with his name before looking him up, but that's why I do this and maybe part of why you're listening. Also on the assist leaderboard with six on the air is Rafael Guerrero, a Portuguese left back, probably plays a little bit more as a wing back. He's been here since 2016. Mostly he was with Lorient over in League One in France before that. But the best player they have going is probably the youngest starter they have, Englishman Jude Bellingham. He plays defensive midfielder. Four goals, four assists has the 19-year-old. He's a good passer and a good dribbler, and he's solid enough uh, kind of all the way around on his statistics. So this is a guy that gets it done all over the middle two-thirds of the field. Uh, Real Madrid, Chelsea, Man City It's going to be fun to see where he ends up ultimately Because while Dortmund are a big team in world play They are still ultimately a selling team When it comes to guys who might say get $120 million for the sale Yeah, that's what it looks like it's going to be as a minimum Whoever has to pay for it and then, by the way, on the defensive side, I want to note Gregor Kobel. He is their Swiss goalkeeper with eight clean sheets, also has the second-best save percentage in the league at 76%. And then, oh, so many great players to look for on this team. We have a USA connection in Giovanni Reina, just 20 years old, plays left winger for them. He is third in the league in goals per 90 minutes, scoring uh, over 0.9 goals per 90 on average. He's got five on the season. Started his youth career. Career with NYCFC, and then he ended up coming over here for more youth appearances and obviously now on the senior team. Team's current form, 11 straight wins across all competitions, and why not with a formidable uh, corral of players like that? And now Leipzig, we've talked about them somewhat recently, but let's revisit. The city is in the east central part of the country. It's just a little bit larger than Dortmund, actually. Uh, history bus will know that a lot of the 1989 demonstrations that ultimately helped lead to the fall of communism started right here in this city and specifically at a famous one now called St. Nicholas's Church. The club is a fairly young one, founded in 2009. 
Uh, twice they have finished in second place in the Champions League, or rather in the Bundesliga 2020-21 most recently. In the Champions League, they've been as far as the semifinals 2019-2020. The Europa League, they went just as far two years ago. Last year, they finished in fourth place in the league. And uh, for all the ties that we talked about with Dortmund, statistically, the team that they are tied with on offense and defense productivity it's Leipzig. They are absolute mirror images of one another. Insert uh, Spider-Man, me- uh, Spider-Man meme here, I suppose. Doesn't really work for audio. That's okay. Key players to look for. Tied for second best in league scoring with a dozen. Christopher and Cuckoo from France. Uh, and uh, he plays striker for them. Came up with PSG back home. And then also at the top three in assists in the league, number eight, Dominic Zoboslai, just 20 years old, plays attacking midfielder out of Hungary. He's probably statistically the best player on the team and the, one of the top five players in the league, in my opinion. Uh, in addition to those assists, he's also got four goals. He's one of those guys where Red Bull, that Red Bull really likes to see succeed because they probably moved him over somewhat cheaply. He played for Salzburg, which is another Red Bull property, before moving over to this one. But it's hard to say he'll probably be there much longer. He's been linked with moves before to Arsenal. Might be a little bit more of a smart bet to say he's going to Liverpool, but time will tell. The player they're going to miss the most for this game probably is Danny Olmo. He's one of their best ones, but he is uh, out of commission right now, I think, on injury. He is tied for second best in winning the possession of the ball most in the final third. He does that 1.7 times per match. So basically, if a defender has the ball in his own defensive third, this is a guy who has the ability to get it away and restart the offense very quickly. Teams current form, they are 2-1-0 in their last three. That draw was a 1-1 draw versus Manchester City in the Champions League round of 16. Match number B. That's right. Out with the tried and true number two because it's overdone, quite frankly, and it's bathroom talk. Try out number B, or better still, listen to it in action right now. Match number B from Saturday is from Major League Soccer. It is number two in the East currently after a whopping one game. Um, Enter Miami. They get to play host to number one in the East, Philadelphia. They both won their first matches by uh, the same number of goals, a couple of them, and good on them for it. You can catch this particular iteration 7.30 in the evening Eastern time on the Apple Season Pass for Major League Soccer, the brand new way that you get to watch most of your Major League Soccer matches, I guess, except for the ones they decide to sell off. Now, it's so early in the season that I'm actually going to take the opportunity to not give you a full-fledged preview. One of the things that like we like to uh, have a good mental grip on are the stakes of a match. And even though these two are at the top of the table, again, it's incredibly early. So we're going to take this time to replace our usual culture break that we do once per episode. And instead of getting, like, say, a recipe or talking about art or architecture from the home site, in this case, Miami... Instead, we want to do something called Tiny Fists of Rage, which I named it that because it was going to be person new, but she's gone to bed early and God bless her. As the management and I have made clear in the past, this podcast is one that will carry absolutely no water whatsoever for any city that is built on a swamp or anything from said city. Houston, don't think that we're not looking at you, but right now we're most focused on Miami. And yet, despite that aversion that we have, here they are, entreating us at the top of the table to talk about them with a great game this weekend. 
Now, climate change and the future of Swordline cities aside, have you seen pictures of the house-swallowing sinkholes that happen inevitably when you construct urban areas in a fen or moorland? I would like to think that you have. And public safety is just the start. Quite frankly, it's nightmare fuel. And if Persa Noob had seen some of those things, she would not probably be going to bed at all. They are that terrible. And yet now, out of the goodness of our hearts and in the search for an angle to take on the city for, for a culture break, we find still more reason to avoid Miami like the plague. It rains iguanas there. I, I'm sorry, uh, I want to make sure you caught that. It rains iguanas. Now, <laughs> this is not literal precipitation from the sky, which uh, gives me very little peace even given what the truth of it is. When admittedly, not frequently, the temperature drops to anywhere close to 40 degrees in this part of Florida, the cold-blooded little iguana dragon monsters basically become temporarily paralyzed and the ones that are in trees, which are a lot, fall out everywhere. Now, God bless the Miamians who take the time to get them out of the roadways and other areas to keep them safe. You're good people. But rather than be good Samaritans, be wise and get out. It's raining iguanas in your city. On behalf of Person Noob, I shake my tiny fist of rage. Match number three. God bless America. A city mostly built on cities of strong foundation, literally and figuratively. And now after doing that bit of patriotic music, we're going to go over to England for a match. How about that? Match number three comes from the Premier League there. Number B, Manchester City, taking on number five, upstarts Newcastle. Man City trail number one Arsenal by just two points at the table at the time I scouted it. And I believe Arsenal also have a match in hand. So Man City really needs to get all three points at this stage of the season, even against a top fly visitor like Newcastle. That team in turn trailed number four Tottenham by four points and lead Fulham by two. Just like in Germany from earlier in the show, four teams will get to go to the Champions League. So Newcastle right now is just barely on the outside looking and they would love to at least steal a point here on the road. Uh, Manchester City have been absolutely dominant in this series, which stands to reason since Newcastle was just basically bought by the Saudi by the country of Saudi Arabia basically about a year and a half ago and all of a sudden has a monopoly money to play with. Uh, Manchester City, 21-3-2 is their record against Newcastle in recent years. When they played in Newcastle earlier this season, they played to a shootout 3-3 draw. You can catch this one bright and early in the morning, 7.30 a.m. Eastern Time in the U.S. or on Universo or, or USA Television, the cable network. Man City. Now, this is, by the way, a little bit of a preview for not so much for veteran fans, but newer fans, noobs, if you will, like me. City are the defending champions. They've won four of the last five league titles, and they have won eight total league titles since 1935-1936. As far as the Champions League goes, 2020-21 was their best ever finish when they finished in second place. I'd never realized before that they'd not won the title. This year, they're certainly uh, acting like they could well win the league statistically as well as the Champions League. Who knows? Number one defense in this, the number one league in Europe by a lot. Two and a half goals per match. They've got a top four defense to go with that. And the number one 
overall goal differential. Look out, Arsenal, and look out, world, for Erling Braut Holland. If you are not familiar with Erling Holland, you're simply, well, you're not listening to this podcast, but here you are, so you do know it. How many goals does he have already? 27. Not double as much as anybody else in the league, but we're starting to flirt with that. Uh, he's from Norway, by the way, plays for center forward for them. Now, number one in assists in the league by a mile, 50%. In fact, he's got a dozen of them, is Kevin De Bruyne. They're a longtime star from Belgium, plays central midfield. But in some ways, statistically, their most valuable player might be the singularly named Rodri out of Spain. He also plays in the central midfield. Two goals, four assists, nothing to write home about, but not too bad. 91% passing accuracy. That is ridiculously good for any position, let alone from the middle of the field where a lot of interceptions can end up happening. And he has very little difficulty getting the offense started because even if he's not passing, he has an outrageously high 76% uh, dribble success rate. That is Anything over 50% is pretty darn good. And by the way, that passing accuracy rate, that's not just because, you know, some players you might see have that because they don't get a high volume of passes. But he is number one in total volume for accurate passes per 90 minutes by 50%, running away with the league in that particular stat, which I thought was an interesting one. And he tracks back solidly on defense as well. Team's current form, they are 4-2-0 in their last six. And now Newcastle, in case you're not familiar, geographically, that is a a city on the northeast coast of England, about 300,000. It is a port city, and they are known as the Magpies. Despite this fact, their crest has seahorses on it. Go figure. It's not one of those crests I approve of, because if you place the horses wrong, which happens on a lot of crests, it looks like, how shall I put this uh, delicately, they are getting frisky with them. I don't understand it. I never will. Uh, They've won the league title four different times, but the last time uh, was nearly a century ago, 1926-27. Their only modern era European appearance in a tournament was the Europa League 2012-2013. They made the qualifiers. Last year, they finished in just 11th place. This year, the offense that their monopoly money they can spend hasn't kicked in yet. They're only getting one and a half goals per match, which is dead average in the league but they've got a deadly defense, number one in that regard, and by quite a bit. They're only giving up two goals every three matches on average, and they've got the number three goal differential. I do believe that Newcastle will be making their first modern era Champions League. Not that I'm necessarily rooting for it unless they decide to you know, change over to magpies from those uh, immoral horses, as far as I'm concerned. Key players to look for. Tied for number six in league scoring with 10 is Miguel Amarone, Paraguayan right winger who should be quite familiar to American audiences because he came here a couple of years ago after three years with Atlanta United. And then the number one player in the league, I believe, statistically in many regards, Kieran Trippier. He plays right back. He's an Englishman. One goal, four assists, very high volume tackler, 72% success rate in that regard. Don't let him get anywhere near your legs. And he's had over 40 clearances on the season, nearly two per game. That is a ridiculously high number. And one more key player I want you to look for with the most successful dribbles per 90 minutes. One of those unusual stats that I'm starting to take more interest in is a guy they've got named Alan uh, Saint-Maximin, Frenchman, plays left wing for them. 
And not to ignore the defense, the number one goalkeeper in the league in terms of clean sheets is Nick Pope. He's got a dozen of those. He's also got the second best save percentage at 78%. Truth be told, he's not exactly facing a high volume of shots. The defense in front of him is very good. He's not even in the top 10 or top 15 in the league, for that matter, in saves made per 90 minutes. Team's current form on a little bit of a slide. They are just 0-2-2 in their last four. Match number four. More Saturday action. We head much further east in Europe this time to the first league, the top flight in Montenegro. This is the second-to-last ranked league in all of Europe, but you can't hardly help but not hold it against them. I mean, it is one of the smaller countries. That said, they just did get passed by Andorra in the UEFA coefficients, and it doesn't get much smaller than that. Uh, Because of the weak coefficient score for this team, they only get to send their champion to the Champions League, and that team has to start all the way back in the preliminary round, which, if it's shaped like last year, will be a little four-team tournament amongst other microstates to see who advances into the first qualifying round proper. And then one team is going to get to go to the Europa Conference League, and they will start all the way back in the first qualifying round. Nevertheless, we look at the footy everywhere for the high drama, and there it is, number B, but Uchnist Podgorica. Yes, I had to slow down, even though I've been pronouncing it, versus number one, Sudyetska, which I think I know how to say because we covered them just a week or two ago in a bonus match. Sudyetska, they lead in the table by two right now, but Podgorica have a match in hand. Uh, also, when they've played this season so far, twice. Podgorica have had the better of it both times, winning 2-0 and then 0-1 on the road. The series between between these two in recent seasons has by and large uh, been the territory of Podgorica for wins as well. 21-11-10. But that's all you're going to get out of Noob for this particular preview because... Every so often, we like to gamble, and we like to cheat, quite frankly. We want to know how to make a little quid on at least one of these matches per week. To do that, we contact our 3,500-year-old in-house prognosticator, Noob Stradamus, who often gives us a drug-aided or drug-addled vision when he can be bothered to do so at all, and we are in touch with him once again. Please take us away, almighty soothsayer. Greetings from the Bay of Kotor off the Adriatic Sea, where I sit on a small boat. Nay, I eschew the fresca you have richly sent me. Instead, it is the high-alcohol black horse wine of the Vranach grape I drink. Here I weep, unashamed for what is lost. I gaze longingly at the old palace in this tiny town of Perkonj, Local lore calls it the Palace of Tresorella, the Three Sisters. Little has changed. Noob, I tell you the tale of the naming is true, for I was here in them to blame for the grief that haunts the place. To this day, there are three high bedroom windows, but two of them are walled up. The three daughters of the noble family Buka occupied them all their lives. They were the loveliest in demeanor, spirit, and looks. They had all the misfortune of falling in love with a sailor named Jacob, who was smitten with all three in turn. 
Jaco could not choose between them, so he left on a long voyage. His decision had been to discover which of the three would wait for him and propose marriage to her. Long years passed, youth passing away and eventually into later years, and then death for the eldest daughter. The younger two walled her window up to patiently overlook the sea no more. Then the middle one passed, her window walled up by the youngest. Even the youngest passed before I returned, but there was no one to wall up her window, and so her residence faces the sea in melancholy endlessly. Noob, as you know, I have traveled for centuries under many names. I was that Jerko, my ability to touch the universal infinite, to divine wisdom for all mankind through the ages, makes me wander endlessly and alone. Unable to return in timely fashion, I can only do so now, oh so late, and wail my lamentations. I divine from my bottomless state of despair that the home team, Podgorica, will offer up three goals. As I was the failed visitor, they shall have none, three to nil. I have seen, and I have spoken. Match number five. Onward into Sunday, we travel for match number five to the Premier League of Burundi, which is not one of the ranked league associations in Africa, by the way. They only take the trouble to do that for about 60% of them. The other 40% don't get quite enough international play to have really uh, earned a meaningful ranking. They're about two-thirds of the way through the season, though, here, and the champion will still get to go to the Champions League. Your matchup, a dramatic one, number one, Bamaru. They are taking on number B, Flambeau de Center. The table tells us that it is a tight race. Bumamaru at 47, Flambeau de Center at 46, and Vital O. They are just a couple, three more points back at 43. Bumamaru, they play out of the city of Buganda in the Sitaboke province, which is uh, one of 18 provinces or states in the country. It's in the fairly far northwest, and the city's got about a half a million people. This is a pretty young club. They were just founded in 2014. Didn't get promoted till Division I until, I believe, after the 2017-18 season. That said, they've already hoisted a couple of trophies. Specifically, they are your two-time defending FA Cup champions there in the country. Uh, they did get to go to the secondary uh, tournament for international play in Africa the succeeding two years, the Confederations Cup. In other words, their version of the Europa League, but they lost in the first round in both of those. But hey, you've got to start somewhere. They're doing better and better. In fact, last year was the best league finish they've ever had, number three here in the top flight. And obviously they're on par to beat that right now, largely at the feet of their offense. They've got the number one offense by a lot, getting two to three goals per match. Top three defense to go with it. Number one overall goal differential. They would be your favorites, probably home or away. And they've won three straight matches with a very impressive 12 versus two goal differential. And now a name that I think this team is a little bit more used to being at the top, Flambeau de Center. If you're not familiar with the French, and I wasn't, I had to look it up, flambeau means flaming torch. 
The city that they play out of is the former and now once again political capital of the country, Jitega, and it's in the middle of the country. Uh, the political capital just got moved back there as of 2019. This is a city that was founded by the Germans, actually, when the city, when the country, right, where it was called German East Africa uh, back in 1912. This is an even younger club founded in 2016. 2017-18 was the first time they made Division I, uh, but they sort of evolved out of an existing club called uh, Le Messager or Le Messenger. Sometimes I see the end, sometimes it's not there. Their academy. In any case, that team also has or is still a Division I team. That's why I'm a little bit more familiar kind of with their setup in general. Uh, they are the defending champions, by the way, and it was their first ever title. They lost this year the Champions League in the first round to Al-Idihad out of Libya, and it was very close. They tied it 2-2 after their home and away two-legged tie, but lost on away goals. This year, pretty well balanced. They've got the second best offense going, getting almost two goals per match, and an offense that's not way behind that of Mamaru. And they've got the second best overall goal differential. Team's current form, they are 5 1 0 in their last six. But I think it's worth noting that their last win was actually their first clean sheet in several matches. The sweet child co-host person who may have put herself to bed before we started recording tonight. But the kitties are wide awake and they demand a recap of last week's matches and they shall have it. Match number one last week was a Friday match from the Champions League in Africa. Our favorite Wydad Casablanca took on Petro Atletico and it was Wydad winning 1-0. Saturday, match number B from La Liga in Spain. Number B, Real Madrid. Number four, Atletico Madrid. We love a good derby. Uh, the fans got to walk away each just a tiny bit happy and disappointed. A 1-1 draw was had for Atletico Madrid. He managed a match possibility. We said look for head assist. That was Antoine Griezmann. No change in the table for either of these teams. Match number three for Major League Soccer. Austin played host to brand new MLS team, St. Louis City. And congratulations, St. Louis, on your first top flight win. 2-3 on the road against a very good team from last year. Match number four from the Ocean. Indiana Football Confederation Champions League National Playoffs, so sort of a qualifier. The top two teams that we looked at that were playing off to see who was going to get into the event proper were from French Polynesia, specifically Tahiti, Hire and Dragon, and it was Hire winning the game. Talk about a shoot that they just they don't play any defense down there. I love following this league. They won 7-3 for the game, and they advance into the event proper 9-3 on aggregate. So, I mean, a 2-0, uh, a 0-2 win in the first leg, you know, that's practically the Tahitian equivalent of a, you know, a 0-0 shutout both ways or something. Match number five from the GFA League, the top flight in Gambia. Number one, Real Banjul took on number two, Maramu, and it was the road team getting a 0-1 win. Didn't lead to a change in the table, but they are now tied on points just not goal differential. Sunday, match number six from League One in France. Number B, Marseille, play host to number one, PSG. PSG won in a route, nil three. No change in the table there for the other teams. Match seven from the Bundesliga in Germany. Number three, Union Berlin visited number one, Bayern Munich. And Bayern, they're looking at their umpteenth crown in a row. They won three nil. Uh, that wasn't a bad enough loss for Union Berlin to drop. Uh, man of the match possibility. We said to look for uh, Jamal Musiala had a goal Tuesday. Match number eight 
from the Copa Libertadores, the Champions League of South America, which is now in its second qualifying round, Sporting Cristal out of Peru, facing, and this is the second time we cover them, we want to follow them as far as they would go, just for fun, Nacional out of Paraguay, and we have now followed them as far as they went. They took a beating 5-1 in Peru. Uh, Cristal ended up winning 5-3 on aggregate, so what a comeback for them. Wednesday, match number 9 for the Liga Nacional Clausura stage in Guatemala. Number B, Comunicaciones, played number 1 club Zelahu, and they played to a 0-0 draw. Uh, because of that result and some other ones, Comunicaciones dropped down to number 3 in the league. Match number 10 from the FA Cup in England, the fifth round or round of 16. Southampton, the worst team probably by far in the Premier League, got to play host. They got a good draw against Minnow Grimsby Town, the reason that we covered that. Minnow watching Giants slang. And hey, we got to see it. Congratulations, Grimsby, on your 1-2 win. In fact, the game was never really in doubt. They got a couple of first-half penalty kicks. Southampton, uh, they got an assist out of their star, James Ward. Prouse, but for Grimsby Town, both penalty kicks were scored by the feet of Gavin Hollihan that we said to look out for. And now bonus matches with explanations to come later on these. Tuesday was your route of the weekend in a match out of Montenegro's first league, number one, Sutjetska, played number 10 in last place, FK Iskra. Wasn't quite such a route after all. Sutjetska, they won two to one. Guy we said to look for their key player, Tyrone Conrad. He had the game-winning goal. The most meaningless match in the world we selected was a Saturday match from the first division in Cyprus. Number nine, Anor, uh, a North assist, taking on number eight, AEL Limassol. They played appropriately in the most meaningless match to a 1-1 draw. Also appropriately, no change in the table there. And then finally, your match of disappointment was a Friday match for the Premier League in Wales. You all always like to pick on Airbus and vote for them out of Wales. The last place team by a landslide playing number 11, Aberystwyth and Aberystwyth. They should have made this one the route of the week. They won one to seven. That wasn't good enough to get them into 10th place though. That concludes your recap of last week's matches. Now let's get back into tracking the upcoming week's matches with match number six. As so often happens with this show, you get Monday off. No shiny enough matches for us to track. World schedules are just a little bit lighter right after the weekend, as you would imagine, but we're back in action on Tuesday. Match number six is from the UEFA Champions League's round of 16, where they are getting ready to play the second legs of the home and away two-legged ties. The most intriguing-looking matchup to me involves probably, I'm going to say the two weakest teams of the ones that are left in this tournament. These are quality teams. You don't get this far in the Champions League without being that. But Benfica and Club Brugge are out of Belgium or out of Portugal and Belgium, respectively. I believe I might have said it wrong. I think it's Brugge. I don't think it's a soft G like it would be for Bruges, the city. Look up that difference once. These are probably your two lowest-seeded teams left in the tournament. Benfica have a decided advantage. They won the first leg nil-two down there in Belgium. You can see if they are up to the task, 3 p.m. Eastern time here in the U.S. on Paramount+, Plus or on VIX if you prefer the Spanish language streaming service. And that's all you're going to get for us for a preview out of this particular one, because once per show, Person Noob likes to come in and interject with her Endangered Animals segment. She likes soccer just fine, 
but she loves her, her aminals from all over the world. And why wouldn't she? They're all so darn cute. And that cuteness is just brought forth by the fact that there aren't always a lot of these animals left that she is looking at. The particular one that we are going to look at on her behalf as she put herself to bed early tonight She's a weird but good kid willing to do that. Uh, we're going to Portugal, but not to the mainland where the match is being played. We're going to go out into the Azores Islands for the Azores Bullfinch. Now, first a little bit about the name. It is perhaps called the bull part of bullfinch because these particular birds tend to have thick necks. They are bull-necked. The Portuguese bird, by the way, is a little prettier. Priolo. like that a lot better. They inhabit a very specific island, Sao Miguel out there, St. Michael. Uh, this is part of a string of islands in the North Atlantic, by the way, called uh, Macaronesia, which I realize a lot of people would say Macronesia. Turns out there is no such thing as Macronesia that balances Micronesia in the world. Macaronesia is the part where they play. It's islands that are more or less straight west a few hundred miles off the European coast and then also the Madeira Islands off the west coast of Africa. Now the bird, it is just over six inches long on average. It is teeny tiny, only weighing about 30 grams on average. Compared to most finches, it's a little tiny big fat fatty. It's a little plumper, we love it. Shorter wings, longer tail. Apparently the longer tail is not slimming. It's got a black head, or at least the top of its head, and face tends to be predominantly black. Uh, the wings and the tail as well. The rest of it tends to be gray or kind of pale grayish brown. It's not as colorful as a lot of other uh, bullfinches, particularly the European finches that you might be more familiar with from pictures. Although the males may have just a little bit of a hint of pink on the underbellies or on their flanks. You know, there's nothing wrong with showing just a little bit of color. It adds a little flavor. Uh, these are herbivores and historically used to be a really big problem when there were a lot more of them for the orange orchards in this part of the world. They now specifically live on just the east end of the island where the native laurel forest still is. That is their natural habitat. Even more specifically, they are almost entirely on a big hill called Pico de Vara, which is a nature reserve as well. And by the way, the laurel forest um, it is a, it's the sort of uh, ecological area that thrives in a subtropical climate. It's humid, but has very stable temperatures. The trees are evergreens, but not the kinds with needles, of course. These have long, flat, and incredibly waxy leaves that hold a lot of water. Uh, the only other place you'll occasionally find the birds are just a little further west during certain parts of the year. Usually the young fledglings head out that way. As of 2008, the most recent thing I found on some quick research uh, with my daughter, there's about 775 of these birds. At one point, you go back to the 70s, there were only something like uh, maybe three dozen of them. So they are on vulnerable status, thankfully, not quite endangered. But the main threats to them all have to do uh, with this ecological area. There's nothing, there's no major you know, predators for these things. The problems are largely uh, timber harvest, and then subsequently the land clearing that comes from that, sometimes that happens by fire and sometimes you even end up with accidental fires that easily clear out a lot of this uh, type of space, the laurel forest. Also, there's a lot of land clearing that gets done so they can make room for really important things like golf courses. 
and other touristy stuff. Doesn't seem like it's quite as important as the animal, no matter how much you might like the sport or going on vacation. Uh, also, non-native crops and plants that have been brought are a problem, as are non-native animals, just sort of stealing some of their resources, not hunting them. Uh, but thankfully, the conservation of the finch is a very doable thing, as they've discovered. This particular type of region, the Laurel Forest, actually can grow back from fire or land harvesting very, very quickly. You just have to not get in its way. So the fact that they've been able to make a nature reserve in this area has absolutely helped them by leaps and bounds, and we are very grateful for that. Match number seven. More footy for your Tuesday, and if you felt cheated out of a true Champions League preview, hey, we'll give one to you now. But from the African version, yes, we're headed back there. They're in the group stage there in the Champions League, which consists of four groups of four teams each. They're playing a home and away double and round robin in each one. The top two clubs from each will advance when all is said and done to the knockout stage. The best looking matchup to us looked like number three, C.R. Belouizdad from Algeria versus Almeric from Sudan. They'll be playing their fourth matches of the group stage. Here's how the table looks. Uh, Esperance uh, from Tunisia, uh, they're running away with it. They're perfect record, nine points. The question is who is going to get the second and last one from this group, uh, the slot to move on. Uh, will it be Beloise Dad with four points, Merrick just one back from three, or can Zamalek even from Egypt make a run at them? It feels unlikely. They've only got a single point. Probably going to come down to these two, and I think this match. When they played earlier this group stage in the Sudan, it was Marek winning 1-0. Uh, Beloise Da, they are known as the Shabab, which means youth, and play in the capital city of Algiers. Uh, Beloise Dad is the name of a quarter within that city. You might have known it as Belcourt, if you were familiar with any of the names there, from the French colonial period. Nine different times they have won their league title, and they are the three-time defending champions. Those are the only ones they won this particular century now, so they are a old power become new again. Uh, they made the Champions League quarterfinal the last two years. Those are both tied for the best they've ever done. Their top flight, by the way, is called League One. Uh, because of the French Colonial Association there. And they are ranked number three out of all the African leagues. Currently, they're in first place in the league by six points over CS Constantine. So they're on pace to get there again, at least at the halfway point or so through the season. Their calendar is about the same as the European one. On the scoring leaderboard for them to look out for with five on the year is Mohamed Islam Bekir, just 21 years old, and then tied with him in that regard. Five goals is also Abderrahmane Bordim, who plays midfielder. They are both homegrown players. Teams current form, they have lost two straight matches, both in the Champions League, but they haven't lost a league match yet, so they are still a formidable force. Now, Almeric, can they replicate their success on the road? Uh, it's going to be a little bit harder when they're away from Omdurman, where they are from, which, by the way, is on the west bank of the Nile across from the capital city of Khartoum. It has about two and a half million people just in its own regard. They are known as the Red Devils and play out of the Premier League there, which is the eighth ranked league in all of Africa. They've won the league title 19 times. They're one of only two teams that ever really wins it there. But they haven't managed it in a couple of years. 2019-20 was the last one. Seven of the titles that they've won, by the way, have been since 2001. Despite all this success domestically, they've actually never once been past the group stage 
internationally in this event. Now, the Confederations Cup, their secondary international tournament, is a little bit of a different story. 2007, they got all the way to the final before losing. They qualified as the second best team coming out of their league from last year because they're in the top 12 league associations in Africa. Two of their teams get to go. Currently, they are in second place in their league as well. They've got a decent offense, but it's a distant second place at uh, about one and a half goals per match uh, to Underman Halil, I believe. The number one defense, though, is theirs. They give up less than a goal every other match on average. Teams current form, uh, what one and one in their last three, and those are all Champions League matches. Match number eight. The last of our Tuesday matches brings us back home, more or less, not quite to the United States, at least if home for you is where it is for me, but we are back in CONCACAF land, our local association. The round of 16 in the CONCACAF Champions League is ready to begin. It's going to be a 16-team knockout bracket where each pair of teams will have to face each other in home and away two-legged ties. I cheated you earlier on a preview for a Major League Soccer team. Here you'll get just a little bit of one, but this is mainly about the Haitian side that I, uh, I think we all know a little bit less about probably. Violette out of Haiti will be playing host to Austin FC. The match will actually be played on the Dominican Republic side of the island. Violette, they play out of the capital city of Port-au-Prince and are known as the Old Tiger. They have won seven league titles and are your defending champions. They qualified for this event as winners of the 2022 Caribbean Club Championship. Other teams from that event that almost but didn't quite win it, I believe, got to move on to the CCL feeder tournament called simply the CONCACAF League. But they got to jump straight here. And this is their first ever appearance in the modern era. Uh, they won what is now considered the CONCACAF Champions League all the way back in 1984. And while I don't want to knock any countries or any teams or league associations, it probably tells you that the landscape was a fair bit different when the team they beat was from French Guiana. Yeah, there you go. They've made seven total appearances in the tournament. Their last one in the old CCL was in 1994. Domestically, uh, the League Haitian, which is uh, the name of their top flight league, it is ranked number nine in all of CONCACAF by Kick Algorithms website, and they name it the number one league in the Caribbean. A lot of folks would argue that it is the Dominican Republic. It's very close any which way you look at it. I believe that the last league season stage that they completed was the 2020-2021 opening stage. Like a lot of the Latin American countries, uh, Spanish-speaking places, they divide their soccer year into two completely independent uh, mini-seasons or stages. They finished in sixth place in that one. It was an incredible, incredibly close race, very deep league that year. Uh, the reason they didn't do a little bit better in the regular season was they had 10 draws in their 17-match single-round robin league season, but that was just good enough to get them into the domestic playoffs, and they actually ended up winning. I did find on one side a brief reference to a 2020-22 season, which they might have finished number eight, but I couldn't get confirmation of that anywhere else. So like a lot of other countries, the stuff that's out there on Hades is a little bit confusing, uh, and we'll learn a little bit more as we hopefully get to watch the match. Hopefully we will get some sort of streaming service carrying it here in the U.S. And now, just for fun, a little bit about the Austin team that you probably know a little bit better, expansion team from a couple of years ago. Uh, 
their opening season, not a good one. Last season, they turned it around and then some, finishing in second place in the West. They did lose out on the conference title to LAFC by 11 points, ultimately. They had the second-best offense going almost two per match. Uh, the defense was only sixth best, but don't be fooled. There were a lot of teams that were pretty, pretty close together in that regard, and they did truly finish with the second-best goal differential. Amazing comeback for them. And a key player to look for this particular season, amongst others, he tied for second-best in league scoring last year, missed out on the golden boot by just one, netting 22 of them was Sebastian Driussi, their attacking midfielder star out of Argentina, who came over, strangely enough to me, uh, from Zen. And at St. Petersburg after the 2020-2021 season, as far as I'm concerned, got out just in time. Match number nine. And if I said that was the last of our Tuesday matches before I began number eight, well, that would make me a liar. Or a calendar noob, one or the other. There was one more Tuesday match. I thought it was a Wednesday one. This one got switched around a little bit, according to my sources, date-wise. Match number nine takes us back to Africa one more time to the Premier League, this time of... Ethiopia, like Burundi's, it is an unranked league there on the continent. Although if you go back and look at their 2011 historical ranking, they were ranked number 32, which doesn't put them even in the top half of Africa. But it at least gives us a little bit more perspective on where that league falls quality-wise overall in the continent. They're not way at the bottom. They just get to send one team to the Champions League, and then their second-place finisher will get to go to the qualification round of the Confederation Cup, the secondary international tournament there. Like their European counterparts, they're about halfway through the season. Your matchup, it is a classic top two, number B, Cadus George, or simply St. George if you prefer, I do, versus number one, Ethiopian Medheen, which I believe means insurance. Uh in the table, it is a one-point affair right now. Uh, Ethiopian Insurance have 30, St. George have 29, and Barhardar, they lurk just back 26. Uh, by the way, uh, both St. George and Barhardar have a match in hand on Ethiopian Insurance, so this is an even tighter race than I originally made it sound like. Let's talk about St. George first. They are known as the Horsemen, and the club is very much a symbol of national pride they're in Ethiopia. They were founded as a, a direct move sort of culturally against fascist Italy, which who were their uh, colonizers going back historically. They first tried to simply destroy this club, and then they tried to do it in a roundabout way by continuously making them play an Italian team that was largely superior, at least on paper, called Six Kilo over and over. And then after all of the games, the Italian police, no matter which team won, would end up uh, beating on... Uh, the Horsemen of St. George. Very strange state of affairs. So this is a much celebrated team for everything they had to go through historically. They play out of the capital city of Addis Ababa. Uh, 30 league titles and are your defending champions. That was the first one in five years, but they have won 13 of them this century. So uh, longer time listeners of this show will recognize that name. We've covered them before. First time this season, I believe, though. 2017, they made the Champions League group stage. That is the best that they have ever done. This year, domestically, they've got the top offense and defense in the league going with the best goal differential by almost a difference of two and a half. Now, obviously, that is not to say that Ethiopian insurance don't have a chance to win this. They're only one point back. But make no mistake, St. George, they are very much the team to beat. And... Uh, 
The number one score in the league by a lot right now is eight. It's not the highest scoring league in the world. Ismail Oro Ogoro, who plays out of Togo. That's a lot of O's, but that's just fine. International uh, play, African fans may recognize his name as he's uh, made nearly double-digit appearances for Togo internationally. Team's current form, 4-5-0 over their last nine. So no losses, but a lot of draws. Kind of quirky. And now, Ethiopian Insurance. They're another capital city team. Last year, I think, I couldn't find easily find any record of it, but I think they played in the second division called the Higher League. I know that two years ago, they finished number three in that league, and they were in Group C. So I'd be stunned if they were anywhere else last year. Their most recent international appearance was in 2003. They got to play in an event that was one of the two predecessor tournaments to the Confederations Cup. This year, their offense is pretty darn good. They almost get two goals per match. But the defense, at least as far as the ordinal ranking goes, is not much to look at. They're only in 12th place in that regard, one and a half goals per match. But overall, they do have a top three goal differential. I think that they'll be able to flirt with uh, the Confederations Cup spot, and I think it would be great if they got that. Team's current form, they are 3-3-0 in their last six and have had three clean sheets in their last four matches. And match number 10, we're done. Finally! As always, each and every week, I have a bit of a hard time cutting it down to the 10 shiniest, most intriguing matches in the world. I wanted to follow a uh, a minnow-watching match. Uh, there's a 5th Division amateur team, I believe, left alive in Morocco in the round of 32, round of 16. Uh, a number of big matches from the big European countries and stuff from all over the world. But I've decided that our match number 10 would be a Wednesday match from an event that we usually don't pick up until it's much closer to or maybe at the very end. But we're going to do it a little bit differently this year. We like international tournaments. We love elimination matches. The stakes are high. So Wednesday, say hello to the Copa Sudamericana, which is in its first qualifying stage. Uh, there are 32 teams here. They're just playing one-legged ties, no home and away. So the team with the better team, with the better seed, simply gets to host. All the matches are featuring two teams from the same country. Not they're not. It's not 32 teams from one country, of course, but I think you get my meaning. And then the winners of these matches will join 16 teams in the actual event proper, the group stage. The Copa Sudamericana, by the way, is not the Champions League in South America. That is the Copa Libertadores. This is their secondary international club tournament, their version of the Europa League. The matchup we're going to look at is one featuring two Peruvian teams, Universidad Cesar uh, Vallejo versus Binacional. Uh, the Premier Division of Peru, according to Kick Algorithms, is the very last place um, of the 10 league associations in South America. I'm always surprised that it's not Venezuela since that's just such a baseball country. But there you have it, at least according to Kick Algorithms numbers. The series between these two over the last year or so has been pretty close. By Nassio and all have had a uh, have accrued a 3-2-2 two, two record. But they've got to play their uh, domestic counterparts here on the road in this single elimination match. Let's talk about UCV first. The Universidad, they play out of the city of Trujillo, which is the third biggest city in the country up on the northwest coast. About a million people. Two different times in history. It's actually been the capital of the country, uh, but it might 
be even more famous, at least internationally, for the caliber of writers that it produces there at the university. And thusly, the football team is actually known as the Poets. I love it. They're already one of my favorite teams just for that. Yeah, I was an old English major. The club was founded in 1996, and they have been a yo-yo team bouncing back and forth between the first and second divisions for pretty much their entire history. They've won the second division title twice, 2018 most recently. Last year, they did get to the Copa Libertadores first stage where they lost. And in fact, that's the farthest that they've ever been in that regard. Here in this event, 2014, they did make the Sudamericana quarterfinals. They were the second best team from Peru uh, to not qualify for the Copa Libertadores. So, you know, basically the sixth best team out of that country. Uh, They would have been a little bit higher, but they got deducted two points for failure to pay debts, presumably to other players or maybe other management. But try not to think too poorly of them. They're at least not alone. They were one out of four teams in the entire league that got penalized in that exact same way. 2023 season, it's very, very early. So to find out a little bit about their team's character, if you will, the style in which they perhaps play, let's go back to the 2022 Clausura or closing stage when they finished in sixth place. They did a little bit better in the Apertura. They slid back down to the Clausura. They were tied for ninth in offense, only getting a goal and a third per match. Their defense was actually even worse, and yet you combine the two overall. Statistically, things were pretty tight. They did have a top six goal differential. Key player to look for, tied for number four in league scoring with 15 on the entire year, was... Yorles Mena, Colombian forward, who played for Morelia. So yes, Liga MX fans, feel free to know that this was the same guy. All the way back in 2015, teams current form, they are 2-1-0 to start the 2023 season. And now Binacional, a pretty young club founded in 2010. They just got promoted to the top flight in Peru in 2018. They play out of the city of Juliaca, which is near the Bolivian border, Hence the team's name, Binacional. It's in the southeast, maybe 300,000 people, very much known for the gold mining that takes play there, key industry. They've only ever won one league title, and that was in 2019. That same year, they played in the Copa Sudamericana in the first stage, didn't get any further. 2020, they actually got to go to the Champions League and got all the way to the group stage. That's really surprising for me to see, given that this isn't really one of your strongest soccer countries right now. They uh, were just the fourth best team to to not qualify for the Champions League out of this. So basically, if you were a little bit better than average in Peru, the eighth best team in this case, they got to go to international play. The Clausura stage from last year, they just finished in 10th place, was all fifth best offense and defense. They had only two draws, so they got plenty of wins, dropped a lot of points, though, hence the reason they weren't any higher. Key player to look for, tied for number four in league scoring last year, just like his counterpart from the other team with 15 goals, Hanio Posito, a homegrown forward for them. Bring forth the bonus matches! (laughs) 
And before we get into them, thank you so much to everybody who takes the time to vote in our Twitter polls, which I put up at Soccer Noob USA at the beginning of every single week. You help us decide what the dreamy content is going to be. Let it manifest. The first one is a first versus last place matchup. We dramatically call the route, 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 route of, 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 of the week, week, week. Week. What an adorable echo sound effect. The one you have selected is a Friday match. We get to start out our week more or less in the Saudi Pro League, the number one ranked league in all of Asia. And yet this particular year, because of changes in the calendar, other teams will be qualifying other ways from Saudi Arabia. Only one team from this league, the champion, will get to go to the group stage. Two out of the 16 teams on the other end of things will be relegated. They're just over halfway through the season there. Your matchup, number 16, Al-Batin versus number one, Al-Nasser. Yeah, it's Ronaldo's new home. Uh, Nasser currently lead number B, Al-Idihad, by just two in the table. Close enough, certainly, that they will not likely be falling asleep. Batin, meanwhile, they trail number 14, all Khalij by 14. So that's not the team directly ahead of them, but it is the lowest team that uh, would represent a point of safety if they can get that high. They wouldn't drop down to Saudi Arabia's second division next year. Al Nasser, let's take a look at them first. They play out of the major city of Riyadh and are known as the Knights of Najd, N-A-J-D, Latinized, and that is the name of a historical region for this area. They've won the league title nine different times. Last time was 2018-19, three of them since 2001. Champions League, they've never won it. Best they ever did was 1995 when they were second best. I think picking up Ronaldo is a major move, uh, maybe towards trying to win that next year. Last year, they finished in third place in the league. Uh, this year, they've got the number one offense going over two goals per match, a top two defense to go with that. Number one goal differential. We usually like to look for reasons that we think the last plus team could maybe daydream of pulling an upset. But boy, there's just not a lot of sunlight there for them. Tied for league best in scoring, number one, with 13 of them is Anderlin Anderson, rather, Talisca out of Brazil. He plays attacking midfielder for them. European footy fans probably could recognize him from having played for Besiktas over in Turkey, or perhaps more likely for one of the big three in Portugal, Benfica. Tied for league best player, though, overall, is the singularly named guy named Conan, K-O-N-A-N, from the Ivory Coast. Plays left back for them. No goals, but he gets up enough that he's got four assists. This is a guy with almost a 90% passing accuracy, right? Uh, but he's also a high-volume dribbler and has a 70% tackle rate. He probably plays more as a wingback than anything else, but they don't need him for scoring between Anderson, Taliska, and, of course, Ronaldo, who after his first five appearances in the league already had eight goals. Just incredible. Teams current form, they've won three straight and have a nine against one goal differential. And now the darkest of horses, El Batin, your underdog. They play out of a city for which they are named Hafar El Batin. That is in the north central part of the country, kind of close to both the Kuwait and Iraqi borders, city of about 300,000. Uh, it's a much older club, but in 2011, that was their first ever promotion to Division One. 
They went back down at least one time in between. They most recently won the second division and came back up in 2018-19. Last year, they finished in 13th place, so they didn't miss getting relegated once again by leaps and bounds. This year, yeah, they're going to. Worst offense, barely getting two-thirds of a goal on average per match. And the defense might be even worse, giving up almost two and a half per match. The only players they seem to be able to rely on, their team best at a top 10 score on the year with six, Yosef Al-Shamari. Plays left back for them, another guy that must get up as a wing back quite a bit. He gets a lot of clearances, though, so he tra- at the very least he tracks back well on defense. He's a pretty accurate shooter and has a 70% tackle rate. The defense is probably where they're going to have to get it done, at least in my opinion. Uh, they tend to emphasize that a little bit more. They're number one on they're the number one player in the league on clearances per 90. Yeah, I know that's a real niche step. But like I said, we're trying to find something here. And it's by a lot that he's number one in this regard. Seven per match. Mauricio Antonio, Brazilian center back who has played for both Porto in Brazil, or not in Brazil, but in Portugal, and uh, Portimoense, not nearly as good a club, but a Portuguese top-flight club as well. And then their goalkeeper from Uruguay, Martin Campana. He is number one in the league in saves per 90 minutes against 3.8, but he's also the worst in goals conceded per 90 minutes, and by a lot, almost two and a half per game. So I have a feeling that, uh, I mean, Look, he's in the top flight in the top league in Asia. This is a talented player, but he's getting nearly four saves per game because his team can't stop the other team's offense at all. He is just facing a firing squad each and every time out there. Team's current form, well, they just got their only win of the season. Hallelujah. We finally found our silver lining, the reason that we might be able to hold out just a little bit of hope for them. They won their last match. It was 1-0 at home versus number 12, all Edifox. So here's to hoping that Hafar Albatine have a reason to dance in the streets, beating Ronaldo's team this time. Could you be... The most meaningless match in the world. Yes, you could. You're so boring. Celebrating teams that are perfectly equidistant from international births or getting relegated with song. That's right. We're not here to make fun of them for the most part. As for two teams, maybe in the very last of the bonus matches. The most meaningless match in the world that you have voted for is a Saturday match that should be pretty much stakes-free. Out of the Premier League in England, number 11, Aston Villa, playing host to number 12, Crystal Palace. Aston Villa, they trailed number 5, Newcastle, by 10. They're in Newcastle's in line for, I believe, a Europa League spot. So, as you can see, they're a long way from getting any kind of international berth. They also lead Crystal Palace by four. Crystal Palace, they lead number 18, Everton, the highest team in the relegation zone, by six points. So that's not a ton of points, but there were a lot of teams in between. This should be basically a stakes-free game. The series between these two the last few years has been pretty even. Crystal Palace with the slight advantage, having a, a five, a six rather, two and five record. They also won earlier this season when they played in London at their place, three to one. We'll talk about Aston Villa first. 
if we must, they have the most meaningless mascot in the world, the Lions. Everybody's the Lions, or at least every every other, every third team, it seems like. Let's do better. I mean, even the Villagers or, you know, the Aston Martins, I have no idea. Go any other direction but Lions. Uh, instead of looking for super, super exciting things, uh, we kind of like to joke around with something called the most meaningless fact. And while this isn't meaningless per se, it's kind of cool. It doesn't have any effect on the run and play here. All the way back in 1886, this team appointed the first ever professional general manager in the country's football history. That was George Ramsey. Now, more relevantly, they have won seven league titles. The last one was in 1980-81, and that was the only one end of the last 110 years very Chicago Cubs-like that they've won. Uh, 1981-82, they actually, though, won what is now the Champions League. So while it was a brief period of success within the last century and change, it was a really, really shiny stretch. Last year, they finished in 14th place. This year, uh, the offense is helping keep them up near meaninglessness at one and a quarter matches per game. The defense, they're in danger of actually sliding down a little bit better, and they've only got the 13th best overall goal differential. And rather than look at their best players, let's talk about their most meaningless player or average statistically. I have identified Emiliano Buendia, Argentina attacking midfielder. Great last name, but really kind of mediocre on the field. And that's about what he's thought of back home. He's played for the national team once. He's an okay passer for a central you know, a central line position, but he's got really a low tackle rate, especially for the number of attempts that he's tried. Players are getting the best of him physically. Team's current formal, they just beat Everton to snap a three-match losing streak. And now joining them in mediocrity and song is Crystal Palace, the Eagles, much better mascot. Uh, they've never won the league or finished in second place even. They did manage third in 1990-1991 season. Last year, 12th place, just as meaningless pretty much as this time around. Their defense is actually pretty average, but the offense are not even getting a goal per match. Looking at their goal differential, I think this is a team that would have trouble finishing in the top half of the league as well. Most meaningless player, in my opinion, for them, although with a really uh, cool-sounding name to say anyway for me, Jeffrey Schlupp. Boy, if that doesn't sound kind of like a meaningless, sort of forgettable guy, I don't know what would. S-C-H-L-U-P-P. He comes out of Ghana and plays central midfield. He's made 11 national team appearances down there, so he's a little bit less than meaningless in uh, domestic regards in his home country. He's got good defensive stats all, all the way around, but for a guy in a central position, his passing is nothing to write back home to Ghana, about less than 80% success rate there. And he's only got one goal and no assists. Team's current form, they're sliding towards maybe being a team that could eventually be seen in our last bonus match, which we'll get to momentarily. No wins in their last nine. Three straight draws, though. And the most meaningless fact we found about them, the sheet glass building for which Crystal Palace was named burned down in 1936. So their namesake's not even around anymore. And now we reach the end of our podcast road, the third and final bonus match featuring two teams at the very bottom of their league table. Welcome to the fresh hell that is the match of Disappointed! And your fresh hell 
that you have voted for comes on Sunday. Coincidence? I have no idea. But it's from the Lebanese Premier League, which is a little bit better than average. It's ranked number two in all of Asia. They have just two matches left into the season. Uh, Earlier in the season, they split the league in half into championship and relegation rounds. And very interestingly, because this is far from the case everywhere, they ditch all of the points that have been earned up to that point. So as long as you can finish in the top half, mathematically, you've got just as much chance of winning the league as anybody else. So the six teams have been playing a double round robin within the championship group. Uh, But that's not as relevant as the fact that two of the 12 teams are going to get relegated. The matchup, number 11, Salam Jagarta, Z-G-H-A-R-T-A. Uh, they are taking on last place Al-Aka Al-Ali, which was a merger of two clubs by those two separate names. And apparently their name is very disappointing, at least you know in my opinion as well, because they could come up with a new name or a way to shorten it. Yeah, you know, do better. Uh, Salam Jakarta, they currently lead uh, AAA, as I might end up calling them. Let's just go with Aka Ali by one. And they also trail number 10, Safa, by just one goal scored. So they're tied on points and overall goal differential. So uh, credit where it's due, I suppose. Neither of these teams with two matches to go even is necessarily doomed to relegation. Obviously, being in 11th place with two matches to go, uh, Salam Jakarta have the much better chance of climbing out. And uh, they have proven that they can beat al Aka Al-Ali. They did so. No, I'm sorry. I have it wrong. What a disappointing read on my part. When they played earlier this season, it was Aka Ali that won two to one. But can they replicate that tiny bit of success on the road? Uh, Salam Zagarda. Zagarda is a city that is in the northwest part of the country, about 50,000 people. Uh, the Salam means exactly what you uh, mean. It's a, a greeting. It means peace. The city is just a few miles outside of Tripoli. That's the major population center there. Regarding this villages or small towns population center, I assume this is for weather-related regions. You've got your beach. You've got your mountains. Most of the population of the entire town moves in the summer to the neighboring town of Eden, E-H-D-E-N. So kind of an interesting fact for you. This team has had a little bit of success in their past, but not in league, really. They won the FA Cup less than a decade ago, 2014 season. 2015, they got to play in the AFC Cup and got as far as the group stage. Last year, they finished in second place in the second division, which was good enough to get promoted. Now they have the worst offense in the league, which is certainly enough to get them demoted more than likely. Their defense is a little bit better, but not enough to be very impressive. This is a team that's going down. The one key player that they have to look at, I suppose, like many Asian teams, is their Brazilian. A lot of these teams, uh, they go and get Brazilians to fill their very limited number of international slots that are allowed on their roster by their uh, national FAs. Uh, the guy that has scored three times here in the relegation round is known as Geronimo. Yeah, as if you were jumping down into something like the second division of the Lebanese in the league next year. Sorry, team's current form, 3-0-1 in their last four. And I do want to point out, by the way, I'm normally not a huge critiquer of crests, but their crest features a white dove silhouette on the bottom half, but it 
really ends up looking kind of more like a Rolling Stones, uh, the classic Hot Licks logo, except a little droolier. Google it up on your own time. You'll see what I'm talking about. And now Aka Ali, they play out of the city of Alay, L-E-Y, which is not the same as Ali. LA is the fourth biggest city in the country. It's not coastal, but it's fairly close. And it's in the west central part of the country, uh, only maybe 10 miles from Beirut. It's essentially a capital city team. Uh, it's a city that's right on Mount Lebanon. In fact, uh, LA means high place in Arabic. city has about 130,000 people. Uh, well, during the non-summer months, it almost doubles during the summertime because it's a huge tourism draw. A lot of rich Middle Easterners and Arabs come to this city, which is known as the Bride of Summers. Uh, they made Division One, I, I believe, for the first time after the 2010-11 season. Oh, no, not for the first time. They've actually won the second division a couple different times, most recently 2002-2003. I will give credit once again where it is due, as I am wont to do. Earlier this show, I did critique your crest for having two horses placed in a very precarious position where it looked like they were trying to make baby horses with the crest. This crest has two horses on it but they are much more strategically placed. So it does not look like they are getting frisky on the soccer ball. So thank you, Aka Ali, for at least getting that much right. Last year, they finished in 10th place. This year, the offense is actually almost average, at least by Lebanese standards. They're getting almost a goal per match, but they've got the worst defense in the league. They're the only team giving up more than two goals per match and that leads to them having the worst goal differential. I believe that as close as it is, bottom of the table, both of these really are your most disappointing teams and are going down. Tied for number one in scoring the relegation round for them, so at least one key guy they could try to look at, Mohamed Al-Masri, just 21 years old. Not sure why he got moved. You would think a guy that young would get a little bit more of a chance, but he used to be with Al-Ahed, A-H-E-D, which is a much better team. Might even be winning the league in the championship round here this year. Teams current form, they're actually on the up and up. They are 1-2-0 in their last three Though those were all home matches, I don't have a lot of faith that they're going to be able to get more than one point on the road. The match of disappointed oh so very often ends in something uh, abysmal like a scoreless draw. And because we find them abysmal, we will not wish them good luck or good fortune, but rather here at the end of all things in this show, we will shoot them, heckle them away in our traditional fashion. It was bad. It was awful. I was terrible. Hey, boo! Boo! And that's all she wrote for Soccer Noob Rock in America featuring Person Noob. Thank you very much, as always, to he who is known as the management for all of his editing and production wizardry, to Dan the Interno Inferno, whose creative efforts and inspirations remain on fire, as they always have been. Thank you very much to my daughter, Person Noob. I love you getting to help out with the show. I love your aminals, even if I want to eat them all up once they are no longer endangered. We can have that discussion off air. And thank you to you for listening. We appreciate it. That's the reason that we do this. Obviously, we're not getting famous on this. We just love exploring the world through soccer and getting to know all these leagues and all these teams all at the same time because it's not a character. It is my life. We really don't know anything about these until we start researching them more or less 
right before the show. If you found it a lot of fun, and I hope you did, please pass this along to your footy-minded friends. I think we've got something really unique here. Until we can do it again in a few days, please have yourselves a fabulous footy week. Take care.